Whoa, today is Saturday. And you know what that means? It's Screenwriting Saturdays, where we don't talk barbecue, we don't talk movies, even though this podcast name is Barbecue to Movies. Yeah, it's all about story today. And uh, if you're interested, we will be talking all about how to create a perfect story. And uh, today, um, I have a little treat, a little treat for you because I will be, I will be reading from my um, the first step to my storytelling method. It's an introduction to my storytelling curriculum, available on my website or through podcast, one million percent free, and um, it's available on scriptwritersteve.com. So if you uh, if you want to read instead of listen or do both, you can do it on my website. That's script writersteve.com and then navigate to storytelling 101 and you can look at there look at the pull down menu and right there you'll see step one an introduction to the Enneagram and what I am going to do is I'm just going to read along with what I wrote and I'll improvise as I go along and um, so you'll get a little bit more than just me reading and um, and, and, and that's really it so uh, why don't we start with me reading right after we come back from my sponsors Okay, so I'm back. If you want to read along with me, um, you can find this article on scriptwritersteve.com and navigate to the menu, um, Storytelling 101, and look under the menu. The first article there is called Step 1, An Introduction to the Enneagram. So I'm going to read along here, and then I'm going to improv some things on the side. So what I'm saying here won't be 100% what I wrote. I may switch up the words a little. Um, that is, that's what you do when you read live or when you read any type of script or dialogue. The actors never never follow what you write because uh, you know, your brain thinks differently of what you write. You, you'll say it one, you'll say it 100 times different every single time you see it on the screen. You just have to go with the flow, right? So anyway, here we go. So before you freak out, don't worry. I'm not trying to recruit you to some type of version of Wicca. Step one doesn't involve joining a cult. That happens in step three. After I ask you to submit a DNA, which is step 2.5. The purpose of this page is to brief you on what you're about to learn, which is the Enneagram. Now, this tool will help you analyze personalities from the inside out, both real and fictional, and help you create colorful, believable characters that will write your story for you. It sounds great, doesn't it? So if you're wondering, I didn't create the Enneagram. The exact origins can't be verified and are up for debate. I saw something on Wikipedia that I may have create, you know, have been created in Africa by two dudes. One guy being a psychiatrist that kind of looked like a smarter, skinnier Spanish Jewish version of Santa Claus. And I truly don't care who invented the Enneagram and neither should you. All I care about is accuracy. And you know what? For some reason, this pseudoscience is really precise. Now, if you don't think it is, that's okay, although it will help you to take it seriously as it will help you craft your story. Now, how the Enneagram applies to storytelling. Now, one of the biggest hurdles any author faces, I said highest hurdles on, the, on this page, by the way, is the primary task of creating believable characters that their audience can relate to. Oh, isn't that right? So let's do a quick exercise. And um, this happens right here, this um, scene that I'm about to paint you, um, this happens at a Quickie Mart. So in case you don't know what a Quickie Mart is, um, a Quickie Mart is, uh, is a little uh, 7-Eleven, um, I guess, uh, shoot-off that is over in Springfield, which is The Simpsons. So if you haven't watched The Simpsons lately, which I'm sure everyone has, um, 
Now you know what a Quickie Mart is. It's basically their version of their version of 7-Eleven. So Batman and Robin pull into a Quickie Mart to get a quick snack. Now Superman drops in as well, so he wants a diet soda. Apu, he's the guy who runs the Quickie Mart, he slides a tray of fresh hot donuts on the counter. And Homer Simpson, he trots in, whistling to himself, just as Apu slams the sign down on the counter that reads, Free donuts, next customer only. So now, I want you to Imagineer that scene. Imagineer, by the way, that's uh, created by Disney. I have to give full disclosure. I do not own the rights to use the word Imagineer, but I think this is a free country. So here's what I have in my head. Homer dies for the donut, and then Batman, he reacts with too much force, because that's how he is, right? Um, Superman, he plays hero to Homer and rescues him from the grips of the bats, which, of course, it pisses the bat, the bat, the Dark Knight, off. And Superman and Batman, they get into a major fight. You know, fists are flying, and they're just trashing the entire place. And Robin, well, he watches from the sideline. He's too busy because he's trying to pick up a girl at the soda fountain. He's not choosing sides to the fight. He just thinks this, this, this is just normal. Now, Apu, the owner of Quickie Mart, he's waving his arms, begging for the superhero to, start fi- to stop fighting. And Homer, he doesn't care. He walks out with his free donut in hand and drives off to work, not caring about the chaos that he's leaving behind. Now, I'm sure while we all didn't craft up the same exact story when we imagineered our things, right? But I'm betting it was probably similar. So we're all, all in the same wavelength because we knew these characters rather well and we knew their personality. So what if you could easily assign a personality number to these characters instead of names? Now, it wouldn't matter if it was Batman, Superman, Robin, Apu, or Homer. And that's what the Enneagram does. It basically assigns a number to these people. So someone who speaks the language of the Enneagram, like those writers I met, or basically basically spent most of my California lifetime with them, uh, they would say, instead of using the word Batman, they would say, an unhealthy crime-fighting type 1 walked into a store. Now, there's a healthy type 2 superpower, which is Superman, is stopping by. And a donut-loving 9 walks in. That's Homer. He's a type 9. Now, immediately, any scriptwriter or any screenwriter that is versed in the Enneagram would be on the same page as me. So, again, the name wouldn't really matter, but the Enneagram type would. So that's how it, it provided us the foundation to communicate personality types. So a screenwriter could literally say, I need help with a type 9 that, you know, disintegrates toward a type 6. And while you right now are saying, what in the hell are you talking about, Steve? When you know this language, you know what type of personality types that that screenwriter is going for. And again, when you create very colorful, um, when you create very colorful screen um, uh, characters, they write the story for you. So anytime a writer has quote unquote writer's block, and trust me, it, it doesn't really happen too much to professionals, not as much as you may think. It happens maybe though, and whenever there's a little block here and there. Uh, this is back in the 90s. They would say, um, it's a character problem. You have to troubleshoot the character because uh, if, you're, if you're trying to write the scene for your character, then you're putting too much of yourself into the scene. Your, your character has to 
write the scene for you. So again, when we had Batman and Robin and Homer Simpson and Apu in the Quickie Mart, they wrote the scene for us. And because when I told you to imagineer that, um, it was very easy because you know all of the characters. You know Superman, you know Batman. And if you watch The Simpsons, you know Homer and Apu. And some of you may know Robin, but Robin's, you know, he's kind of a playboy and all that kind of stuff. So and anyway, um, going back, I'm, going, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. But the Enneagram helps you understand personality. And the better you understand personality, the easier it is to write a story. Therefore, the better you understand the Enneagram, the better you will be at writing a story. So um, again, that's why I put so much um, time and effort uh, in my curriculum uh, of going through the nine type of personalities. I don't want you to self-project your own self into your your movie. I don't want you to say, well, this character reminds me of this girlfriend I used to have or this boyfriend I used to have or this, this, this is my parents. I'm going to write my parents into there because it just won't be accurate. You don't understand. Like When you start understanding the Enneagram, you'll understand their fears, their angers, their agenda, their, their paranoias, and why. And again, some of this may be stere- you know, stereotypical, but again, you know, I want you to go past that because people think, say, you, you know, when you start, you start classifying things and stereotyping things, automatically it becomes very racist. No, it doesn't. You know, it becomes intuitive. So keep on going. Keep on pushing through. Uh, learning the Enneagram is going to take some time. After you, after you learn the, the nine types, it's going to take a while for you to just say, you know, to know them like the back of your hand. And even after you know them, you'll notice the little different nuances that, you know, that make them special and make them so alike at the same time. All right, so I'm going to continue reading. So how the Enneagram differs from psychology. So think of the Enneagram as a really cool kid in class that everyone loves, yet isn't a prick. He gets along with everyone and everything, including the unpopular kid in the third period. Because the Enneagram is the cool kid, he and psychology are best friends. And because the Enneagram isn't a grade A douche. He also gets along with all theories of psychology, all religions, and even atheists. Most importantly, he gets along with storytellers, the best. So I do prefer the Enneagram over traditional psychology because the Enneagram helps me understand a person's full personality spectrum. Now, psychology, psychology, hmm, it tends to focus on diagnosing ailments and solving them. For example, on the Enneagram, I am a type one, a reformer. My greatest motivating factor for, that fuels me is the fear of doing the wrong thing or even being wrong. I have my own personal moral code that I abide by, which makes me very critical of myself and others. Now, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs, and law and order is very important to me. And when it comes down to the hard decisions, I always favor doing what I feel is right, even if it means turning my back on family and friends. So, in other words... If I were in a crime family, I'd be the snitch. Now, the problem with my persona is that I think everyone else should be as moral as I am. And I put moral in air quotes here. Um, And that can lead to many heated arguments. I'm overly critical, and I'm a compulsive complainer. Now, being narcissistic comes very easy to me. At my worst, I could be a loner, preferring that I do things on my own because no one else can do it right. I can live in a box, hating people and not trying anything new. And at my best, uh, yeah, I can be very open-minded, trying new, new things while being critical. Because I feel 
going against the grain and never doing things traditionally works best. So here I am. Yes, I am the Maverick. And can you see how my personality type gave birth to, the, to my screenwriting story method called the Maverick Storytelling Method? So I wanted to reform storytelling. So because the type one is called the reformer. They're a compulsive reformer. Now, with psychology, it would be very difficult, not impossible, to develop a complete personality profile of me. A psychologist will only care about what my ailment they believe is. So maybe it's narcissistic personality disorder. And then from there, they'll try to fix me. But every personality behave, a person, personality type can actually have um, be narcissistic. So again, it doesn't have this full spectrum. Now, this is the very interesting thing. I'm going to go kind of off on a tangent here. Um, you know, I belong to a lot of writers' groups. I've helped a lot of writers and um, a lot of uh, doctors, um, especially uh, psychologists, believe they can write stories. And, and I always, I, I kind of have a bias toward them. I, I think they'll be great at writing stories because they should know personalities, personality types. But when you really start to dig into it, they don't. So when I sit down and I have to tell them, I have to remind themselves, Sit your character on the couch like how you want a patient and, you know, you know, tell me about them. And they don't know that much. All they say is they'll, they'll list their, well, he has antisocial disorder. Okay, fine, he does. But what are his fears? What is, what is his agenda? How was he treated as a kid? Does he have any, um, why, does he like the name that he has? I always focus on that, on that too. Um, a lot of our personality that we have is based upon our name. How did you get your name? Do you like your name? Some people rename themselves, right? And there's only certain personalities that actually do that. You know, some, you know, I have some friends who renamed themselves. Some people are from like, you know, China. So they want an American name. Some people hated their name they were given at birth. Some people hated their parents. So they, act, they actually renamed their whole last name and first name. So it, it makes such a big difference there. But here are these psychologists. Now, these are psychologists. And they don't know much about personality behavior. And they've been psychologists longer than I've been breathing. So isn't that interesting? So just because you're a psychologist doesn't mean you know personality behavior. And for some reason, and I'm not calling them stupid now, I can talk circles around them when it comes to personality types. And a big reason why is that I understand the Enneagram very, very well. All right? So moving on, going back to reading, okay? Um, the superego, fear, anger, and agenda. So this is really important. Now, remember this, FAA, fear, anger, and agenda. FAA is like the federal, um, federal, what is it called? Something, aviation, aerospace and aviation or something, aeronautics aviation or something like that. But we, have a, we actually have a three-letter agency in America called FAA. They're in charge of all the airplanes, right? And, um, but um, instead of you know, using that acronym, it's easy to remember as fear, anger, and agenda. And those are the three things that power almost every single personality. What is their fear? What is their anger? And what agenda do they have? Okay, going back to reading. So at first, I didn't want to sound like a warlock. Now, I don't want to sound like a hippie. But I have to admit, the far majority of people in the world want peace, love, harmony, and all that good stuff that was trending back in the 70s. The problem is that some, for some unexplained reason, we are our own worst enemy, and we stop ourselves from obtaining nirvana. 
our strengths are also our greatest weaknesses. And most often than not, when all it takes is letting go of our fears, our super ego takes over. It was what's and what was once an easy solution to happiness becomes a more complicated solution. So all because ourselves, we literally sabotage ourselves, sometimes compulsively. So the Enneagram focuses on the superego within all of us, the one that is powered by fear, feeds on anger, and is obsessed with agendas. Ironically, although our superego works against us, it also gives us our personality. So it's not as though we can live without it. Now, this double-edged sword, this is what defines us, okay? So learning, learning the Enneagram, it, <laughs> you'll, you'll run into this a lot. And you'll see this a lot more so in um, superhero movies because those characters are really, really flushed out. Um, say, for example, Spider-Man, um, who's probably you know, a superhero who's a peacekeeper, a type 9 peacekeeper. But be, and he's that way because of Uncle Ben. He doesn't want to fight, but yet he's forced to fight. He doesn't want to lead, but he's forced to lead. So, and, and again, him letting criminals go is part of the problem. You know, trying try to be such a nice guy is the reason why they commit so much crime. So it, there's like a never-ending circle right there, right? You know, how do you live with this double-edged sword without, without trying to affect your moral code and, or, your, or, again, your agenda, right, and not making you angry? You know, how he treated Mary Jane, right? He, was, he, he wasn't a man when he came to Mary Jane. He didn't want to step up to the plate. It was horrible. And th that's, that's a personality type. That's a type nine. They don't step up to the plate when they should. And Spider-Man, at one point, you know, it was hard for him to even be Spider-Man. He wanted to quit being Spider-Man. He said, this is it. I just want to be, I'm going to take this gift. I don't care. There's all these web crawling things and all that. I'm just going <laughs> to... I just want to be Peter Parker. I don't want to be Spider-Man. So these are, again, these are the double-edged sword things that you have to learn about. And you can create all these colorful characters, characters that people fall in, fall in love with because you know personality like the back of your hand. Okay, so then there's nine primary types of personalities. And, um, and you're probably wondering what type of sword you're carrying. Um, there are nine different personality types, okay? There's nine different personality types, and I'm going to start labeling, labeling them off. Um, number one is called the reformer. Type two is the helper. Type three is the achiever. Type four is the individualist. Type five is the intellect. Type six is the loyalist. Type seven is the enthusiast. Type eight is the challenger. And type nine is the peacekeeper. So why don't we go, I'll go really quick into like giving you examples. So uh, type one reformer, they're like, a, if we could put a word, like the word compulsive before every single, um, uh, I guess, description here. So they're the compulsive reformer. They have to fix everything. Um, they're compulsive complainers. Uh, they want to always reform society and play hero. Uh, they're not much rule breakers though. Even though you may think they break the rules, they don't. They're and in movies, people say that's Captain America. Uh, type 2 helper. Well, these are people who um, are extraordinarily very generous with their time. Um, they, they, they will sacrifice their well-being sometimes in order to help you out. Uh, this is Superman, right? Bend over backwards to help you. Um, but a lot of times, they're, 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 um, they're, I guess they're, uh, they're um, what, what is that word here? They're, uh, 
I guess their generosity, that's it, sorry about that, brain fart, their generosity has a string attached to it. So they may help you out, may help you out, help washing your car, may help you clean your room, may help you, you know, cut your hedges, but they're pulling every time there's, there's a string attached to every good deed and they'll end up using that to leverage you. So then there's a, the type three achiever. That's a Tony Stark. They're more very much into their image, love to just win. And they're great at winning. They're workaholics, but they win to look good. They love winning because it makes them feel good, looks good. And again, they're all about, they're all about, you know, looking good, the image of looking good, having the trophy, you're having the trophy wife, the, the, the Porsche, the nice house. Uh, again, when you think of the achiever, Tony Stark is probably the, probably the, the, the best description that I could probably give you. Uh, the type four individualist, oh, you know, they, they call this the individualist because they think about themselves all the time, um, but they should be called the metaphoric thinkers. Um, these are the people who are just their heads in the clouds. Um, they're, on, they're on this journey to always find themselves. And more than likely, every artist, I would say about 99.9%, they're a type four individualist. You know, the Elton John, the princes, um, everyone. And they always think the world is against them. And they have this very uncanny way of like making negative things sound really good. That's why all love songs, which they write, they sound really great. They make love songs like ballads, right? <laughs> the love songs are never happy love songs, right? They're always horrible breakup love songs. Um, but uh, this is what they do. And so they're, they're, they're in this really strange part of the world where, you know, they make, they make the negatives look very light, even though it's very negative. But they love to live in this in this world of negativity. And they always feel like they're the outcast of society, that, uh, that society doesn't appreciate them or know who they are, and they just roam. They're just completely roaming around. Their, their journey is never over, of, and they're always trying to find themselves. Who am I? Where do I belong? You know, do my parents love me? Who are my parents? Do, was I born this way? Am I a man? Am I a female? You know, and uh, all these things. Like, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll guess what their sexuality is. They'll be very open. Uh, on these things so um and uh like luke skywalker he was one of these uh if you look at the last jedi uh most of the characters they were all of this they were they didn't they didn't know where they wanted to be um in the, in the last jedi ray didn't know if she wanted to be a jedi in fact she was she a skywalker she didn't know she didn't even know her last name right um if finn didn't want to be there poe didn't want to be there i mean everyone everyone was just I'm not sure if the, you know, half of the cast wanted to be in the movie, to be honest. All right, so type, type five intellect. We'll go move on. Type five intellect, um, these are your brainiacs. These are your geniuses, the scientists. Best example, probably Egon Ray from Ghostbusters, or, or even the Doc from, from uh, Back to the Future. And they're so smart, but they're, they're also in this very, very narrow lane of intellect. Now, these are your observers. They love to soak in knowledge your university professors, but when it comes to reality, they have a very hard time relating to reality because they're only smart in this narrow, narrow name, uh, narrow lane of reality. In fact, it's not even reality. They exist in this academic bubble. So in real life, Einstein, he was like a type five intellect, um, really smart, but he didn't do anything with E equals MC squared. Absolutely nothing. There was other people who, who did, who did everything with it. Not him. And in real life, he was uh, he was not very of a not very nice guy. Um, 
and uh, yes, even Stephen Hawking's right. He, you know, he, you know, he developed black hole, not developed, but he researched about black holes and had all these different theories and everything. And uh, but he wasn't very nice in person. He cheated on his wives. His wives. I don't know how he did it in that chair, but he did. And um, so, so uh, yeah, so that's the type five intellect. Um, and their problem is that they get caught up in their brain. Um, they start to think, you know, up fictional things. And they can kind of justify it um, because they're so smart. So they start tricking other people. They start tricking their students you know, when, they're, when they're kind of crazy. Like, you know, Stephen Hawking's believed there are, there are people living on the dark side of the moon. <laughs> so maybe he's right. I don't know. You know, I, I've never been to the dark side of the moon, but he, he was going, you know, going kind of crazy. So, so whenever you hear scientists talk, you have to take them with a grain of sand because they can be going to the unhealthy side. And don't think that doesn't happen. It happens a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Now, right next door is a type six loyalist. Um, these are people, out of all the fears, um, they fear themselves the most. So um, they fear having an opinion of themselves. And, uh, and so, they, so they, they're always looking for a rescuer. They're always looking for uh, what, what does that group believe or what does that um, person believe because I can't believe in myself. And uh, they will end up looking like, you know, they will end up looking like the person who they worship, who, who is the rescuer. So if you have a, if you have a type five intellect, a professor out there pre preaching to them, um, that loyalist would take on his beliefs. Um, or if he have a type, if he worships, say, like Tony Stark, a loyalist, right, then they'll become like this Tony Stark, you know, loyalist. So and the majority of people um, in America, they are loyalists. They just follow the trends. Because they don't know what to believe, they can't think for themselves. They always tell you, and in fact, the and I'll, and I'll just say this: I don't want to get political, but the Democrat Party, the Liberal Party, tends to have more loyalists in there than the Republican Party. The Democrat Party are very much loyalists. So whatever comes down from the top, they believe they'll never go against it. They'll never say, "Hmm, that doesn't make any sense," um, and they'll often tell you the debate is over. The science is in. So they'll say, hey, don't look at the other science. No, just listen to your rescuer. They're, they're here to help. They're here to rescue. And they'll always say that. So just believe, 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 don't question. And that's typically what a loyalist does. Okay, so the enthusiasts, um, they're kind of really exactly opposite uh, than the loyalists. These are your adrenaline junkies. They're like, their major problem is that they have so much fun they can't settle down. Uh, you know them when you, you find them. So these are the people who are like... Um, compulsive vacationers sometimes you see i'm here i have a friend who like you know she travels all over the place i can't i don't know where she is any time in the world you know but but her, her life is so fun you look at, you look at her instagram page she's in this country that country oh my god she's having dinner with this person and that person and like wow she just doesn't settle down and um and that's the problem with the enthusiasts they don't settle down they don't have a home um you know marriage mm, not not really for them they like living out of a van um, you know, they'll have a boyfriend here and there, or a girlfriend here and there, um, and they'll be open to anything. They may have a, a girlfriend, boyfriend, and maybe both, you know, like that. So, but everything out there is just about not missing life. But instead of going forward with their life and achieving, um, they'll end up going sideways and just experiencing life, you know, you know, and having all these different adventures. And that's the only problem with them is that, you know, they don't settle down. But is that really a problem? Hmm, I don't know. You know, for some, it may be, but if you understand them, they're just really fun people. Just really fun people. Um, the challenger. Now, this, the challenger, 
these are people who are very obvious. Now the challenger and then the, the type the, the type eight challenger and the type one reformer, they always get kind of mixed up, uh, mixed up because they both could be assholes. Um, but the challenger is just say your drill sergeant personality. When you when you encounter them, they're very strong, they're very intimidating. Uh, they're very alpha, very type A, and they get in your face. Uh, but they're not very sociable people for the most part. Like a type one is a very sociable and will work with a lot of people. The type eight is kind of a loner. And so when I say um, type eight, uh, rules don't apply to them. They break the rules compulsively. They will challenge the norm, break the law. Um, and everything to them is about strength, power, and maybe doing good, but that's really not on their, you know, not at the top of their priority. They're not as moral as a reformer. They don't really have a moral code other than being strong. They just don't want to look weak. And uh, they are really fun characters to write. Um, but these are like uh, your head coaches. You know, you know, for example, like <laughs> your boxing coaches, my football coaches, probably all, probably all type eights. Um, and they're, they're, and um, let's see here. In, on, on screen, Deadpool, Wolverine, uh, Punisher is a type eight. Again, the rules mean very little to them. Um, they will... They'll break the rules, you know, and, but in order to, you know, they always add a little moral twist to there. But again, the, the, the real type eight, when they're, when they're even when they're good, they obey, they obey the laws a lot more. And when they're bad, they don't. So um, they want to challenge you. And uh, uh, the reason why, you know, when you encounter them, they're really good at being leaders. They are natural born leaders. They get things done. And you know, because they work with fear and they intimidate people, um, they whip them into shape because there's some people, especially men, you just need to be whooped into, into shape. I just say that you need to be whooped. You, you know, you need a drill sergeant to get you on time, on to work, to turn you into a man. Because if you don't have that strong personality, um, you, you're just not going to get off your butt. And most men are just stubborn, stupid people. And I'm, and I'm speaking about myself. So it's good to have the, And that's why the father figures are so important. That's why football coaches or boxing coaches or athletic coaches or even pastors who are type 8 personalities just get in your face. Hey, don't do, don't do drugs. Don't do this. Don't, and they just tell it to you straight. You, you do this, you're going to die. You do this, you're going to... They don't bat around the bush. There's no, there's no being nice. No being nice to, to you at all get in your face. And uh, so they're really good. Um, now, moving on, one more personality type, and then we'll move on. Um, the type nine peacekeeper. Uh, these people, uh, they're, they're the sum of all fears. So, so they're out of all the, the eight personality types, they have every, a, little, a little bit of every single fear in them. And that makes them ultimately fearful of everything themselves and others out there and they have a knack of understanding everyone and that's why they can take two conflicting personalities and be the peacemaker between both of them so they're great at making peace they would like to talk it out go by the rules and everything and just say hey you know what no you know make love not war right this is them um but the bad thing about them is that when they're triggered they're, they can cower and they can become cowards so in the movies, you know, that Scooby-Doo and Shaggy, that Spider-Man. What about Bob? That was Bob. Um, and they're, again, they just don't want to fight. They don't want to step up to the plate. They're, they can be very cowardly. It's not to say that they're cowards because every personality is, can be cowards. But the type nine is your typical coward where they'll just cower in the face of fear 
is to run. They're the first personality type to check out, check out of reality. And they will, they will be almost checking out to the point where they will be almost like a zombie within their own skin, just going through them, just going through the motions when they're really, really bad. All right. So I'm going back to reading. Sorry, I just went off on a tangent here. Um, okay. So uh, here we go. So uh, start reading there. Uh, take in mind um, that at times there can be subsidies. Oh, Subtleties, sorry, wrong word. Subtleties between each personality type, depending on that individual's or character's compulsions. Now, for the vast majority of us, we will most likely gravitate toward one of these personality types more than others, and then call it home. But that doesn't mean we we won't visit others. And by the way, we all have nine degrees of personalities within us. So that crap you hear about creating a three-dimensional character, well, it's crap. We have nine dimensions. So we're a little bit of everything, and we call one personality type home. So again, going back on there, we always hear in storytelling, how to create three-dimensional characters, right? (laughs) Truth is, there's nine different degrees. And if you really want to flush out a character and make it really, really good, you'll kind of like work your way around the the little intricacies of all different nine personality types and then say which one which one is home for him. I've done that before. And then when you do that, you create a very, very nice character that will write a play for you. So learning about all these personalities is where it all begins. Your journey to being a complete writer. Now, once you understand the ingredients of human behavior, you'll be able to write realistic characters that can push your story forward. Okay, I just said that. All right, so next up here. Now, for those of you who are listening on, on the I guess on my podcast, you can't see the graphic that's in front of me. Um, the Enneagram, now there's nine different personalities. I'll try to describe this for you. But there's a circle, and the personality types are labeled one through nine. Now, nine is at the very top at the 12 o'clock position. And then to our right, we have one, two, three, four. And then to the left, we have eight, seven, six, five. It goes down there. Now, there's nothing at the six o'clock position, it's empty. So you imagine one, two, three, four, and eight, seven, six, five. They're kind of grouped all together to the left and the right. And in the middle of there, middle of it is a kind of a diagram, and that's what what is called the enneagram. And they they connect all the different personality types together with these lines. Um, and uh, these are your health and your trigger trigger lines, which I will explain later. And but that enneagram, it kind of looks like like Lisa Simpson of the Simpsons, her her, her hairstyle. It really does. Uh, if you don't have the eyeballs on the head, um, the Enneagram looks like her hair, her hairstyle. You know, that little pointed hairstyle. And um, each of the where, each of where, where those little points are on her hairstyle, you have a number. So nine is at the top, then one is to the right, and eight is to the left. Or is it, yeah, one is to, one is to the right. So that it goes straight down like that. And um, there are these lines that go to the, that basically connect each one of them and I don't want to talk about it right now because it'll probably confuse you. Uh, we'll talk about it more after you learn all the nine Enneagram types. So I'm going to end it here um, on the page. Uh, it's going to take you to the, if you click on the bottom, it'll take you to the type one Enneagram, the reformer. That's what I am. That's what Donald Trump is. That's what AOC and Bernie Sanders are. Um, people are, who are very compulsive complainers but have a moral code which they abide by. 
again, moral code, it doesn't mean it's moral. It just means what their code is, right? So moral is very different for every culture, correct? So um, uh, what I do recommend is that you read through it. I will be podcasting um, each individual um, personality type. So you can read, read along while I podcast to you, while, while I read along while, while I preach to you, right? And you'll get a little different version of what you get on, on there, on the screen there. Um, and uh, I think that's about it for now. So uh, hope you like it. This is uh, step one. And uh, I guess step two will be all about, actually, no, that's part of step one. I'm sorry. Step one is learning about the nine different Enneagram types. And we're going to spend a lot of time on here. But trust me, if you push through this, okay, it's going to be okay. It's going to be good. Better than okay. You'll never have writer's block again. And (laughs) you'll be able to understand everything so much better. All right. And I'll talk to you soon.